Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise. Hello and welcome to the EM360 podcast, where we have a weekly conversation with people who are impacting the enterprise tech landscape. My name is Matt Harris, Head of Content here at EM360 and your host on today's episode. And today, I'm joined by Neve O'Brien, Senior Manager of Solution Architecture at Fivetram. And we're here to discuss the biggest challenges facing data leaders today and how to solve them. Neve, welcome to the show. Thanks very much. Yeah, being a solution architect is a fantastic vantage point at which to see all of the changes happening in the data landscape. So looking forward to discussing them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I kind of wanted to talk to you today a little bit about kind of where you see the market. Obviously, we've had uh, a lot of stuff in terms of generative AI and a lot of changes to kind of, you know, uh, data leader culture. Um, My kind of first question for you, Neve, is, you know, what is the biggest challenge facing data leaders today? I think beyond a doubt, um, Gen AI expectation management with their own C-suite and business leaders. Um, I think what, what business leaders really need to realize is that data is the fuel that powers Gen AI. And essentially, CEOs are, are asking their data leaders for autonomous vehicles. But the reality is many data leaders know that their data is more like diesel or petrol and less like a nice, clean uh, electric battery. And just like diesel and petrol and those fossil fuels emit toxins, these data sets contain errors. And while such errors can be mitigated for when there's a human driving the car, such as you know, when a data analyst is interpreting uh, a data dashboard, for example, and spotting those anomalies and, and things that don't look quite right, in the anonymous car scenario, there's less room for that error due to like the advanced settings and computing hardware that autonomous vehicles need, they actually need a very stable, consistent, and reliable power source. Um, in addition, like large language models are actually like auto-regressive. Um, and that means that it actually they actually use past outputs as input for future predictions uh, to generate the next output. And so getting it right from the start really matters, which means that for data leaders, they really need to build that solid foundation right from the start. And that's really the the key starting point. Because at the end of the day, what your CEO and what your business leaders are looking for, to be fair, is is just an answer to the question that they're getting asked day in and day out. Because they're getting asked, what are you doing with Gen AI? How is your organization leveraging Gen AI? And if they don't have an answer to that, that's not a good position for them to be in. So as a data leader, you do need to give them some kind of an answer. Um, so what I would recommend is now that you know you have probably a, a Gen AI budget, I would invest that into your cleanest, highest quality data sources that you have to get that one Gen AI story. So 10, 20% of that budget, but then the remainder of that budget should be about getting the rest of your data sources to be roadworthy, if I can continue the analogy. <laughs> yeah, and I, I also love the analogy you use about, you know, data really being the fuel of, of Gen AI, because, you know, seeing a lot of companies that not everyone's data is actually ready for, for that AI to come in. Um, Absolutely. Could you give some specific examples of how data leaders can become Gen AI ready? Yes, for sure. Um, so let's kind of flesh out what I mean by by, by roadworthy. Um, so a lot of data leaders do have some 
clean data sets, as I said, those those electric car batteries. Um, and they've been, you know, using, mining them for information and, and creating analytics. So, for example, you might have your CRM data, which might have, you know, all of the customers uh, that you have, and you're looking at those customers and you're understanding, you know, what's the employee size of those customers, you know, how much funding do those customers have in order to understand their, their propensity to, to grow. Um, and, and some of those data sets have essentially been maxed out um, just looking at them in isolation. What they really need to, what really needs to happen next is, is that those data sets are actually combined with other data sets to, to drive more, more information. So st- staying with the, the CRM example, if you could combine that CRM data with your actual product usage data, that just opens up a huge amount of, of additional analysis and, and, and insight that you can gain. So instead of just looking at like the firmographics of your, of your customers, you can actually understand how they are using your product. Um, and actually you will, you will see insights such as, oh, the, the more people in that company that are using the product, the more likely it is to grow. And you just can't get those, uh, those insights by looking at one data set alone. You have to combine them with, with multiple data sets. So what I would encourage companies to do is to look at those data sets that have remained untouched um, and that they haven't actually been able to make uh, available to their analytics teams. And from my experience, those data sets are, are typically databases. Um, and for good reason, like your databases uh, typically contain the richest data, the data that's going to really provide those insights, but they also contain the most complex and sensitive data oftentimes. And so a lot of organizations have been, been slower to actually uh, make those, available, those data sets uh, available for analysis. And the, the two main reasons I, I see generally are um, business continuity concerns and, and governance and, and data security concerns. Um, but the answer can no longer be, you know, we, we, we just can't touch those databases. The answer needs to be, those databases need to be handled with care. You know, one of those big labels just <laughs> spread across them like, a, like on a box when you're, when you're moving uh, premises. Um, so the incarnation of handle with care in the database technology space is called change data capture. And change data capture works by only capturing the incremental changes that happen on your data source. So let's just take a step back and go go back to our example of earlier when we were talking about product usage data and how you might use the product. And so instead of capturing at the end of the week on a Saturday, all of the interactions, let's say, Matt, you have had with our product. So you might have logged in one day, you know, uh, added a new, let's say if you're taking Flytron as an example, added a new data source, started syncing that data source, and then started changing some of the schema that you were you were syncing with that data source. And you might have done multiple actions throughout that week. And instead of batching up all of those actions and then loading them into our, our cloud data warehouse on a Saturday, we're actually, as you're making those changes, capturing just the change and replicating that change um, into the cloud as opposed to doing it in a big, big batch process. And what that does is actually minimize the risk of those, those big batch processes, because what if those batch processes fail? And also the kind of business continuity or, or data downtime that you get from having to do those large batch processes. 
Um, and so it brings a lot of, as I said, it handles that objection of, of business continuity that we discussed earlier. And it also makes sure that we, we have data consistency between what's on, let's say, our on-premise data source and what's on our, our cloud version of that data source. Because if you're replicating those changes as they happen, that means that your analysts are looking at the same data in their cloud data warehouse as is uh, on, their, on their cloud data source. So you have that one-to-one mapping, you have that data consistency, you have that minimal downtime, and you have that assurance that it is uh, efficient. And the best uh, change data capture technologies do this by via via reading your, your database logs and not actually the database itself, which further minimizes uh, the impact to your business. Yeah, that, that's, that's incredible. I'm really, really well said. You know, I do feel for, you know, data leaders, as, as you kind of mentioned, because, you know, as a journalist myself, um, you know, I've kind of had to um, kind of completely change the way that, that we work to fit, you know, um, like the death of newspapers and TikTok and AI just being able to write a thousand word articles in a second. Um, but obviously for, for data leaders, it must be quite difficult to, you know, really change their entire kind of prioritization structure towards a tech that they might not have even been aware of like 12 months ago, 18 months ago. Um, I don't, you know, really do feel for that because we, we kind of see that in all kind of walks of life. Um, well, while everyone is kind of super focused on gen ai right now when talking about it and kind of assessing how they can bring it in what's really important for data leaders to remain focused on and stay grounded by yeah i think gen generative ai is, is obviously very exciting and it's it's great for the industry but as a data leader i would i would caution against gen ai becoming your entire narrative um you know, it's not it's not going to be an overnight success unless you have been one of those data leaders that has been heavily investing in your data platform and, and you are ready to go. Um, but that's just not the reality for, for many organizations. And so the best thing to do is whilst you start your, your Gen AI projects and, and your journey, that you're still remaining focused on evidencing evidencing the, the return on investment of your existing you know, business as usual, data programs um, and platforms. Um, and so the, the best way, in my view, to, to show and bring value to the business with data is to operationalize your analytics. So I can kind of talk through what I, what I mean by that. So a lot of times data teams will, will, will do an analysis. They'll do a kind of a thematic analysis, as I call them, or a once-off an, uh, analysis. And if you're getting a response of, oh, that's interesting, <laughs> and that's the only response, um, that means that your end users are probably going to look at that dashboard sporadically or when they remember to. And those type of projects, it's really difficult to tie the value of your data team if, if they're like the type of projects that, that you're working on. Um, I kind of call this like passive analytics, and it's whereby you're relying on the end users to seek it out in order to be able to extract the value. So you're, you're relying on those end users consistently going to that dashboard and making sure they're looking at it in order for you to be able to say, oh, yes, that is valuable. What I mean by operational analytics is I mean that your dashboards or your data models essentially are the central nervous system of how your team operates. So, for example, your data models or dashboards should be sending signals to, let's say, your sales team to notify them 
of when customers are trialing new features instead of relying on that sales team, you know, once a month to go and look at the new features dashboard. Um, because we can't rely on that. You know, humans are humans and they have many, many priorities. And so what you need to do is instead of taking away that decision-making of which dashboard I need to look at, and you need to actually operationalize your analytics and send that data to them when they need it. And so when you do that, data becomes something that your business just cannot function without. And that's the best value proposition that you can have. So as a data leader, definitely start your Gen AI projects and there'll be more longer term projects and make sure that you're continuing to focus on the daily value uh, that you're bringing to your business and how best to evidence that. Yeah, yeah. And obviously looking towards the future, you know, what what really is the big opportunity here for CDOs and their teams? You know, how, how far will Gen AI really go in, in actually improving things for, for the average data leader? Yeah, so I think the the great thing about Gen AI, as I said at the, at the at the top of this conversation, is is that it really is is that fuel. Um, I think you know there there's in in academic spheres and people who are testing out Gen AI algorithms right now to try and make them and models to make them more and more performant. What they've realized is yes, it is important to um, you know, put in more and more parameters, which is essentially just more and more different fields. So different uh, features, as, as they call them in the space. Um, but, but, but that reaches, reaches a limit. And at some point, what becomes more important is actually the data that you're feeding the model and not how many parameters you can, you can have as part of the, the model. And so data will become the differentiator uh, for, for, for the success of your Gen AI program, not the Gen AI model in and of itself. For most like use cases, the, the, the models that exist right now are probably performant enough. But the issue is is, is actually the, the data in and of itself. And so if you're a data leader in a company, you've become extremely important because you are the, what is going to be the difference between Gen AI being a success in your organization or not. Um, and so I think, honestly, the biggest opportunity for, for CDOs, CIOs is just to have more of an influence and in, in the business and, and less, spend less time having to, to kind of justify their existence um, and more time um, actually showing how they're, they're going to be uh, fueling probably what is one of the most important efficiency gains that companies will go through in the next uh, few years. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and just to kind of, you know, kind of wrap wrap things up and kind of get get everything together. Um, what what is the big takeaway for um, our audience? And do you have any kind of closing advice um, for those looking to kind of get started or you know turn things around? Yeah, for sure. I think from what I from my vantage point, I guess the most successful CIOs, CDOs of the next few years are just those that can proactively illustrate to their CFOs and their C-suite the cost of doing nothing or the cost of delay. Um, it's, it's, not, it's not for lack of um, want or effort from CDOs or CIOs that you know, some of the data sets have remained untouched or data projects have been delayed. They have tr been trying to push those projects forward 
um, and oftentimes, you know, meet roadblocks um, from various parts of, of the business. Um, and so it, it will be really important to be able to illustrate that. I mean, McKinsey estimates that like Gen AI could be add between, you know, 2.6 and 4.4 billion annually to, to the global economy. Um, I mean, for, for scale reference, like the UK's entire GDP in 2022 was like 3 billion. So it's something that companies definitely need to start capitalizing on and um, but have previously been been hampered by you know oh we'll do that project next year. So C suites really need to if they haven't already shift their thinking of IT or data as a cost center um, and effective leaders will accelerate that shift by performing like holistic total cost of ownership um, of existing projects and ensuring that they don't get delayed or put off for next year because the efficiency multiplication effect that Gen AI, Gen AI can bring to an organization, like the opportunity cost of, of delaying projects has, has never been higher. And so that is probably the most important takeaway from this is that you really need to, as a, as a leader, be able to effectively illustrate um, the cost of doing nothing because that is the, the biggest mistake you can do right now is delay or, or do nothing in this space. And the best thing to do is get started. Neve, this was great. Thank you so much for coming on to the EM360 podcast today. Yeah, pleasure. Thank you. And also thank you to everyone who uh, took the time to listen as well. We hope you took a lot away from today's episode, but for further information on what we talked about, please head on over to fivetran.com. We'll be back next week with another episode in our podcast series, but until then, Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on all major platforms. Follow the conversation on our socials at EM360Tech on Twitter and LinkedIn. And for more great daily content, please head on over to EM360Tech.com. Mm-hmm.